0: Good morning, everyone. I know I usually don't, I'm not the person that usually begins the service, so it's a little bit unusual, but I just wanted to uh, update you on the fact that the service this morning is going to be a little different. Uh, Tyler is, or was scheduled to lead us this morning, but he's, he's not well today, and uh, he's not able to be here. And so uh, our worship in-house this morning will seem very different because Tyler is still leading us, but he's going to be leading us on the screen. So you just have to pretend that you're at a very large event and you're so far away, you can't see the stage and you're watching on the screen. That's how we're going to have to do it. Now, for those of you who are at home, it's not going to look any different for you. It's going to look exactly the same. But for those of us who are here, so I just want to encourage you to uh, to worship enter in like you normally would if you normally don't worship then don't do as you normally would worship anyway and uh, and uh, this this COVID season has been an opportunity for us to see how creative and uh, we can be and how much we can pivot when we need to so uh, we're doing that again this morning so without any further delay I'm going to hand it over to Tyler God bless you as you worship this morning good morning Welcome to Evangel. I
1: invite you to stand as we worship this morning. And good morning to all those who are watching from home or wherever you are watching on the live stream. We welcome you as well. We're going to begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, Lord God. We offer up this time to you. We ask you to have your way. Please draw us closer to you. Lord God, we ask for your grace. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
2: is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing in grace, this is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, for me who brings our chaos back who brings our chaos back into order who makes the orphan a son and daughter the king of glory the king of glory who rules the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance, the King of glory, the King above all kings. Yes, this is amazing grace, this is unveiling love. That you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. I sing for all that you've done for me, all that you've done for me, all that you've done for me. Sing, you lay down your life, you lay down your life, that I would be set free. Sing for all that you've done for me change, one thing remains, one thing remains, your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me, your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me, never fails it never gives up it never runs out on me your love love. and on and on and on and on it goes and it overwhelms inside cause one we meet one thing we your love never fails and never gives up it never runs out on me your love never fails and never gives up it never runs out Never gives up. It never runs out.
3: at to- everyone who has given uh, donations for our hot dog lunch. It has been an encouraging past couple of weeks of running this event. In fact, even the grade 12s from Blakelock who have managed to, to drive out and, and, and see us from, from the road pull in and say, wow, we haven't done this since grade nine because it's been so many years since our church has been able to do this because of because of COVID and other reasons. And so it's just been so encouraging for them and to see the value that they hold for what we do. So I thank you to everyone who has given and I just ask for more, uh, if you feel led to give more donations, we are still still accepting donations for the hot dog lunch, whether you want to give supplies for the hot dogs, so, so the, the wieners, the buns, or the cases of pop, or you feel like uh, giving uh, monetary donations, all are accepted as well. And so we thank you for your generous giving in that regard, and I'm excited to continue the hot dog lunch moving forward. Uh, at, at, uh, with our youth ministry, I extremely uh, value our leaders who, have, who give every single week to be with our students, and I just want to shout out uh, two leaders in particular, Alex and Joe O'Connor. Uh, this uh, this Sunday is their last uh, Sunday as part of EPC, and this coming Thursday is their last Thursday night as youth leaders because they have been given an amazing opportunity to work with Indigenous youth. Uh, and so we want to uh, take time to, to appreciate them. So make sure at some point this morning you, you you thank them for all their years of service. And thank you guys. <laughs> I won't embarrass you anymore this morning, I promise. <laughs> Kids from grades one to five, you are now dismissed for Kids Church. You can meet your volunteers at the side doors and I invite you to stand as we go back into a time of worship this morning.
2: Nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence Lord Holy Spirit you are welcome here come flood the place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence. nothing worth more that will ever come close nothing can compare you're our living your prayer i mm-hmm. Come For the sake of you, my king, I'm giving you my dreams, I'm laying down my rights, I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new life, and I surrender. of you my king
1: and you know what you're doing and we just have to trust you and and it's going to make sense in the end. It's going to be good and we're going to look back and go, wow, you are so amazing. You are so faithful and you are Lord God and you are love so we can trust you. So we lift this up to you. We ask for your grace and your mercy and your love. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Please remain standing.
0: Our scripture reading this morning is found in Acts chapter 11, and we're just reading one verse 24. It's a summary verse, really, for all that we want to talk about today. And it's a summary verse about someone named Barnabas, and it says this He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. In the summer of 1983, I came to the realization that God was calling me to commit my life to full-time ministry. And as I was processing that and doing research on that, the closest PAOC Bible College to train for ministry was in Peterborough, Ontario, which was 3,000 kilometers from my home. My family didn't have much money, so Even with the possibility of student loans, I knew I would need to make and save a lot of money if there was any possibility that I was going to be able to make that trip and do my program there. But there was a problem, and the problem was that I was living in a province, specifically a very small town, where the normal pattern for boys was many of them dropped out of high school prior to even finishing, and they moved away to places like, Ontario and Alberta to find work because work where we lived was very scarce. Student employment was almost unheard of at that time. And so I found myself in a little bit of a dilemma. There was a man in our church who owned the local business, and so I decided to give him a call. I explained my situation and he agreed to hire me immediately. And so I worked there part-time during grade 12 and full-time in the summer leading up to moving away to college. And when I came home after my first year, I worked there all summer again as well. Now, what I didn't know at the time, and I became aware of later, was that he really didn't have a job for me. There was no openings. He, He just hired me to help me out to invest in my life and future ministry. His support for me made a difference in my life. His investment in me assisted me in training for ministry, and without that investment in my life, I don't believe I would be where I am today. In fact, it was because of him that I learned to drive a standard transmission because he asked me, do you know how to drive a standard? And I said, of course, And uh, so I remember just having to drive a vehicle and kind of learn the hard way uh, uh, how to do that. The title of today's message is Make a Difference. And our scripture today is about Barnabas and how he made a difference in the lives of others. And we're going to briefly consider just three examples of the grace of God in Barnabas' life that were demonstrated that made a difference in the lives of others. And as we look at these briefly this morning, we're gonna be reminded that the grace of God in our lives helps us to make a difference in the lives of others. The grace of God in our lives helps us to make a difference in the lives of others. So the first example is grace to give, grace to give. Conditions for the early followers of Jesus in Jerusalem were very difficult. They suffered great persecution because the Jewish leaders were not happy that they were continuing to preach about Jesus. By killing Jesus, they believed that they had put an end to any belief that Jesus was the Messiah. But the apostles were preaching about the resurrection of Jesus, and this created a whole series of problems for these religious leaders who wanted the whole Jesus thing to go away. And not only were they preaching about Jesus and him being resurrected, but they were actually healing people and performing miracles as they were carrying out his ministry. And so repeatedly they were asked to stop, stop preaching, stop working miracles, but of course they wouldn't do that. And so, consequently, many followers of Jesus were taken from their homes, we read, in the middle of the night, and they were imprisoned, some of them, some of them were beaten, some of them were even killed for being followers of Jesus. Now, many in the Jerusalem church were disadvantaged economically, they were cut off from their families and their jobs because of their belief in Jesus, because they decided to become followers of Jesus. All of a sudden, they were facing these tough economic times for no other reason than the fact that they chose to follow Jesus. Now, because of the dire needs in the church, this godly community, and we read about this in Acts chapter 2, they took responsibility for one another. And we're told that those who had resources shared with those who were in need, and the result was no one, quoting, was in need. No one was in need. They were taking care of each other. And we're also told how that happened. We're told that from time to time, those who owned fields or houses sold them. And they brought the money to the apostles. And this, they would then distribute these resources to the community as needed. Some would say it sounds like socialism. I would say it sounds like the gospel. Luke provides a specific example of Barnabas doing this. Barnabas sold his field and brought the proceeds to the apostles to help those in need. Owning land at this time was a really big deal because landowners were at the top of the food chain, and not just financially, but also politically and from a power leadership standpoint. And so to sell your land and give your money away, well, that was unheard of. Because basically what you're doing is you're eliminating any future income that you might have, and you're impacting your social status all at the same time. But the needs within the church community were significant, and so we're told that Barnabas sold his field to help others demonstrating the grace of God in his life through acts of generosity. He trusted God to be the supplier of his needs and invested what he had in the kingdom of God. We live in a culture that, generally speaking, is very materialistic. I don't think any of us would argue with that. We are driven to acquire. We are told repeatedly through all kinds of advertising and communication what it is that we should desire, we should want, what it is we should pursue in this life, what it is is of value that we should go after. And so to keep up to all of that in our culture, the truth is we're working way too much we're sacrificing relationships that really matter, and most, many are spending well beyond their means just to stay and keep up with the expectations of culture. For many people in our culture, life has been reduced to primarily working. Working and earning earning to cover the high cost of their lives, to maintain a standard of living, which requires for a lot of people for large debt to be racked up. And now all of a sudden, as interest rates rise, people are getting very, very concerned about that debt. If we were to be honest today, followers of Jesus are often sadly, we're not that much different than the culture in this regard as most of our resources that we earn and acquire are needed to fund the standard of living that we've established. And often little or nothing is left when it comes to investing in the kingdom of God and to assist those in need and to engage life-changing ministry. I mean, I won't get into a lot of it today, but it is just tremendous the negative impact that the COVID uh, last couple of years has had on not-for-profit organizations is it's it's devastating to be honest it's life-changing now biblically giving is not about money per se generosity is not about money it's about lordship that when jesus is the lord of our lives we're we're generous with what we have we're generous in our giving but when jesus somehow takes a, another level of priority and he ceases to be that primary focus of our lives well The truth is, the pattern is generosity tends to slow down and maybe even stops. And so when we acknowledge that Jesus is truly the Lord of our lives regardless, we trust him to meet our needs and we're able to be generous people. We're able to be generous people, to give what needs to be given, to do what needs to be done and not worry. And as we do, we have confidence that God's going to take care of us. I'm not talking about being reckless and careless. I'm just talking about being someone who's generous. Because generosity is a reflection of the grace of God in our lives that leads us to put our trust in him and not hold back. The grace of God in our lives causes us to be generous. Grace to give. Secondly, grace to forgive. In Acts chapter 9, Saul, which we later come to know as Paul, is identified as one of the most prominent enemies of the early church, of the followers of Jesus. Earlier in Acts, we see that he was involved personally in the stoning of Stephen and the subsequent scattering of believers that that took place at that time where they went to other places because of fear. We're told that he organized groups to go into the homes of Jesus' followers in the middle of the night and drag them off to prison. We're told that he was breathing murderous threats. These are not kind words. Murderous threats against the Lord's disciples and had even gained letters of permission from the high priest to go to the synagogues in Damascus and take prisoners right out of the synagogue. Damascus was the oldest, most important city in Syria and there was a very large Jewish population there. Jews who were followers of Jesus still gathered at the synagogues at this time because it provided for them the best opportunity to share with their fellow Jewish believers that Jesus, the Messiah, had come. And so Saul wanted to stop them and put them in prison, so he set out with this group of followers for Damascus. As he neared the city, a light from heaven flashed around him and were told that he fell to the ground. And then a voice spoke to him, says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To which Saul responded, well, who are you? If I'm persecuting you, I don't even know who you are. And the reply says, was, I am Jesus. He says, now get up and go to the city and you will be told what to do when you get there. Well, the others were speechless. They likely heard the voice, but didn't see anyone. They had no idea what was going on in this vision that Saul had, and Saul was blind after having that vision, and so they helped him by leading him into the city. There was a disciple, we're told, named Ananias, living in Damascus, and God spoke to him in a vision and said, listen, Saul is in Damascus, and I want you to go to Saul, and I want you to place hands on him and restore his sight. Well, Ananias didn't want any part of that, he had heard the reports that, you know, about Saul from Jerusalem, what he had done there, what he had done to other people. He didn't want to be a part of that. He didn't want to show any grace to this man who was so awful and evil. But the Lord told him, he says, no, you need to understand, Saul is my chosen instrument. So I need you to go and do this. So we're told that Ananias, Ananias went and laid hands on him and Saul's sight was restored. Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the son of God. You talk about a conversion experience. He's on his way there to to arrest and maybe even kill some of these people. And now he's standing among them being one of the primary ones who is declaring that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah. And people were astonished as they're listening to him share this and they're saying, isn't this Saul? Isn't this the guy from Jerusalem? you know, who, who was a part of St- Stephen being stoned and organized those, you know, home invasions and, and, you know, were breathing out these murderous threats. Isn't it Saul? They were amazed. The Jews in Damascus didn't like it because all of a sudden the plan changed. Hey, you were coming here to do the complete opposite and now you're on their side. And so they wanted to kill him and he escaped and ran back to Jerusalem. And once he got back to Jerusalem, he went to the disciples and said, hey, you know, I would like to join you. I would like to join you. And it says that they were afraid. They didn't believe him. They didn't trust him. Why would they? They knew what he was capable of. They knew what he had already done. They knew how evil he was before. But we're told that Barnabas intervened. And he brought Saul to the apostles, and he explained everything that had happened to Saul on the Damascus Road, and his conversion, and how he was preaching about Jesus in Damascus, and he vouched for him and said, you know, he's God's instrument and, and all of those things, and it says that they accepted Saul because of Barnabas' intervention and recommendation. While the others could not accept that such a man as this could change, Barnabas believed that it was possible. Barnabas had the grace to forgive. Do you know people in your life that it would take an absolute miracle for them to come to Jesus? Perhaps they're part of your family. It might be your husband or your wife. It could be your children. It could be your parents. It could be your siblings. It could be extended members of your family. Perhaps they're the people that you work with every day or you go to school with or in your neighborhood. And when we're around people, we, it appears as if they have zero interest in Jesus at all. They are, have zero potential to ever be the kind of person that would ever decide that they would follow Jesus. And as much as we want to believe that Jesus can reach anybody we're not sure about these particular people. I, I know Jesus can reach anybody, but, you know, I, I know that person, and, and, and I, I don't ever see that happening. When the Holy Spirit empowers our lives, he changes how we see people. I want to say that again. When the Holy Spirit empowers our lives, he, the Holy Spirit, changes how we see people. When the Holy Spirit empowers our lives, every person becomes someone who can change. Every person becomes someone who could change, who could become a follower of Jesus. The potential is there. When we are filled with the Spirit, we see them differently. And so like Barnabas, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to create that perspective in our lives that no one is a write-off. That no one has sinned too much. That no one has gone too far. That no one is so disinterested in spiritual things that God's grace can't reach them and change them. You see, God's grace opens our eyes and gives us a new perspective and, a- and enables us to even reach the point of forgiving those that you may think you could never Forgive. Grace to forgive. And finally, grace to give again. When Paul and Barnabas set out on their, what we call their first missionary journey, they took someone named John Mark with them. John Mark was a young cousin of Barnabas who was a minister in his own right. John Mark traveled with them for the first part of the journey. But in Acts chapter 13, we're told that he left them. To go back to Jerusalem. He quit. We're not told why, but we know that Paul called him unfit for the work because he quit on them because he was unreliable. There was an important job to do. They were relying on the team to get it done and, and John Mark failed the reliability test. He failed the loyalty test. Well, Later, Paul and Barnabas decided to launch out and go back and visit a lot of the churches and believers in the towns that they had preached in previously to see how they were doing, to encourage them in their faith. Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark along, but Paul adamantly refused. You know what? I I don't know, but I just kind of think that if Paul was a part of the church I was pastoring, I probably wouldn't like him very much. I I don't know. I'm just, just putting that out there. He wanted to bring John Mark along, and Paul said, absolutely not. No way. He had his chance. He failed. He's a quitter. He's unreliable. He can't be trusted. He's unworthy. How could John Mark be a good role model to young believers of faith and diligence? But Barnabas believed that John Mark deserved another chance. So this sharp disagreement came between them. There was no guarantee that John Mark would get it right this time. Maybe he was going to blow it all over again. But Barnabas was willing to take the risk. And so Paul and Barnabas agreed to disagree. And they divided the team into two. On this side, you had Barnabas and John Mark. And on this side, on this side you had Paul and Silas. You know, probably turned out okay for Barnabas because as I read further, Paul and Silas kind of ended up in prison, but these guys didn't end up there. So probably worked out pretty good, actually. The teams went in different directions. They visited the believers. They preached the gospel. What I find interesting here is that Paul would lack grace for John Mark. That's what's most baffling to me here. That Paul, of all people, of all people, Paul would lack grace for John Mark, especially after everything Barnabas had done for him, after all the grace that had been shown to him personally, how Barnabas vouched for him and the others gave him a chance. And I find that interesting that even after all of that, he just couldn't bring himself to demonstrate the grace to John Mark that had been demonstrated to him in his own life. There's nothing more said in the book of Acts regarding John Mark and Paul, but there are other references in other parts of the New Testament that kind of tell us how the story ends. In Colossians 4.10, Paul recommends John Mark to the Colossian church. In Philemon, verse 24, Paul refers to John Mark as a fellow laborer. And in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul requests Timothy, he says, Timothy, I want you to bring John Mark with you when you come because, quote, he is useful to me in the ministry. Obviously, Paul's opinion of John Mark had changed somewhere along the way. John Mark would never have been given that second chance. That opportunity never would have come had Barnabas not believed in him and given him that second chance. John Mark didn't deserve a second chance, but he was given one nonetheless because God's grace in Barnabas enabled him to give and then give again. All of us in this place this morning will at some point need a second chance. All of us will need a second chance. We will fail. We will drop the ball. We will squander an opportunity. We're gonna wanna do over. And often we don't deserve the second chance. We have no right to a second chance. But God is a God of second chances. And anytime someone fails and hurts us and quits and lets us down, well then we're we're facing a dilemma because we have a choice to make. We can decide that they are not worthy of another chance or we can demonstrate an unusual measure of grace like Barnabas did and choose to give them another chance. Now, I just want to say this in context: that I understand that some situations are complicated, even abusive, and that there are also natural consequences for sin, and that sometimes things can never be the same. That boundaries have to be set. There's there's no there's no choice and. And I get that, and I support that, and I want you to know those are not the type of situations that I'm talking about this morning. But sometimes, like Paul, even though we have personally been shown great grace, we can't seem to bring ourselves to the point of demonstrating it and giving it to others. Sometimes we have a standard for others that we don't even hold for ourselves. We don't even hold it for ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I sure am glad we don't always get what we deserve. You know, you've often heard me say, when my kids were writing exams in high school or whatever, and they'd say, Dad, can you pray for me? And I would pray God help them to reap the rewards of all their hard work that they would get what they deserve. And they would say, just don't pray for me anymore about that. I don't want what I deserve. I want more than I deserve. I'm glad we don't always get what we deserve, but within the church of Jesus Christ, the truth is we need more people like Barnabas. We need more people like Barnabas. We need more people who are willing to grant us what we don't deserve. That's what really makes a true, authentic church community is when people are willing to demonstrate grace that others don't deserve and choose to give people a second chance just as they were given a second chance. These days, I find myself, I'll admit this, thinking about my legacy more than I ever have in my life before. I mean, maybe five funerals in six weeks can do that to you. I I don't know. But I find myself thinking about my legacy more than I ever have at really at any point in my life. Perhaps it happens as we get older or because we've had to deal with significant challenges in our lives that cause us to become more reflective. There's all kinds of reasons. But I will say this to you today. I honestly don't know what my legacy will be when I'm gone. I I don't know what it will be. I don't know what others will say about me or remember me for. I I, I don't know. But like Barnabas, I would like to be remembered as someone whose life demonstrated the grace of God in generosity, forgiveness, forgiveness, and second chances. That I made a difference in the lives of others because I allowed the grace of God in my life to freely flow to the people around me. Because the grace of God in our lives helps us make a difference in the lives of others. Would you stand with me as we have our final song of the morning before we pray?
2: Help me to seek you Help me to find Help me to love you Heart, soul, and mind
1: Help me to let
2: let go Of my foolish pride I trust in you Jesus I trust in you Jesus I trust in you my Lord Jesus I trust
0: As we prepare to conclude our service in prayer this morning, I want us to include praying for Alex and Joe. He's done embarrassing you. I'm I'm just getting started, really. So I just wanted to say what a pleasure it has been to have you be a part of this church community for the time that you've been here. It's been uh, a blessing for me personally to have been a part of that journey with you. Thank you for all those wonderful conversations of your heart and passion for serving the indigenous community. And uh, God's calling on your life to that. And uh, thank you for including me in a small part of that long journey of your life that um, uh, that, that we can see it come to this point. So we're just you're going with our blessing, we're praying for you. We're excited for you, and we're grateful for all that you're going to accomplish in the hearts and lives of indigenous youth um, in Ontario and, and through your lives and ministry and wherever else the Lord may take you before it's all said and done. So. Uh, thank you. It's, it's just been a blessing. I want to pray for you this morning as we, as we pray. So let's pray. Father, today we just want to be people who have experienced the grace of God in our lives to the degree that flowing out of us is generosity and forgiveness and second chances. Thank you, God, that we are the recipients today of generosity beyond what we deserved, forgiveness beyond what we could have ever hoped for, and more second chances and third chances than we ever thought we'd ever need. And so we're grateful for that this morning. Father, I want to thank you for Joe and Alex. I thank you for bringing them to evangel, to this church community, for the time that they've been able to be here, for they, how they have contributed and provided, Lord, leadership and and just... Uh, love and care within this congregation, and thank you for how you 're working in their lives and how you 're leading them, and this exciting opportunity that lies ahead for them. I pray that you would bless them everything they they do. may you bless them, may you bless those that they're they're serving Lord in Uh, Lord, in their ministry, and I just pray for every young indigenous person that they have an opportunity to encounter, that the lives of each and every one of them will be better because they've come in contact with Joe and Alex and have seen the grace of God demonstrated through them. Father, today we pray for those in our congregation who need your touch. We pray for Richard today who's been readmitted to hospital. We pray that you would be with him. We pray for your healing in his body. We pray for your encouragement and that you would just remind him that you're with him, that you're working in his life. Father, today we pray for Gina as this past week she's had her second chemo treatment and I just pray that this week would be a good week that you would just keep her from sickness and I pray God most importantly that that there would be healing taking place in her body for full recovery Lord we pray for Todd today as well in the hospital Lord that you would just continue to work in him and you would strengthen him and that you would Lord that this process that he's in would would come to a good result Lord as you're working in his life Lord we pray for Edith today for a miracle touch upon her body and Carl as he continues to recover and for any who are here this morning Lord, I pray that you would touch their lives and their hearts and strengthen them, those who've lost loved ones, those, Lord, who are going through difficult times. We just committed all to you today. We ask that you'd lead our lives, li- guide our lives, and allow your grace to flow from us wherever we go, whoever we meet. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a great week, and God willing, we'll see you next week. If we can help, please let us know. God bless you.